has two children overseas when he gets the phone call every parent dreads. A young vegetarian falls in love with the goat her family plans to sacrifice. And a love story that almost doesn't happen in Scotland. Hello, you're on Now Hear This. I'm Melanie Tate and today, stories from across the seas. Now Hear This is all about getting you to tell your story and throughout the year we travel to different spots around Australia and put on live storytelling events, usually to a theme. We ask you to get up and tell a five-minute story from your life standing in front of a microphone before a live audience. It's thrilling, it's scary, and you never know what's going to happen or what kind of story is going to be told. This week, anyone who's travelled overseas will know that Australians are an adventurous lot. There's barely a country in the world that people are actually surprised to see us. We're great travellers and have been travelling overseas forever. And the stories you'll hear today are all adventures had beyond these shores. The first story was recorded at our unexpected storytelling slam in Melbourne in 2013 by Ian Willis. How do? Um, looking around, I might not be alone, but I'm a parent. Um, I have, oh, I had two children. One was a son and one was a daughter. Now I've got two adults. Um, so you'd think that would make it a lot easier. Uh, my daughter's now 22. Uh, she was doing university for um, paramedics and she decided, like all good 21-year-olds at the time think is a good idea, is to go on a gap year. So she trundled off um, to South America. If you've ever Googled South America, you Google and look for murder rates and the map of the world comes up in light blues, whites and dark blues. Her path was the entire rim of the darkest countries as you could find outside Africa. So it was pretty good. So we have Facebook and we have phones, which are really helpful and all that sort of thing. And after this first three months, you start to relax. And then the six months, you're getting better. Um, the scare with the dog and the rabies took a little bit of the edge off it. Um, but she had a boyfriend with it. I thought that was a good thing, you know, strength in numbers and all that sort of thing. So she managed to get her way around. Then she took a detour up to the United States for a couple of weeks. And then they went down through Central uh, America, which is also really good in the dark blue states, um, but they throw in the kidnapping rates as well too. So this is quite good. I'm getting a lot of sleep. I'm actually 75, by the way. Um, and um, but nothing happened. They they toured. They saw lots of amazing things. We saw amazing photos on Facebook, and it was really good. And then towards the end of the first year, her boyfriend got a job offer and a university placement for masters. So he raced home and left her in Cancun, Mexico, um, but only for another four to six weeks. But for, I thought I'd been really clever. Um, we encouraged her brother, her older brother, that's what you'd hope would be a good thing, to go over to join her in Mexico. I figured it's good for him to get a holiday and an older brother looking after a younger sister in a country like that's not a bad idea. And Cancun is sort of kind of the touristy area, so it's not really dangerous after all the drug areas and the murder areas and everything else that they've been through. So they've gone over there and the reports are having a great time. She's a bit bored with him because he just wants to go to the touristy beaches and things and the bars and doesn't want to do anything. She still wants to go bussing off to where she can find excitement, I think she called it. So um, we got 
towards the last week uh, when they were both due home, and on Thursday night, um, my phone rings about 8 o'clock at night, and you must have all had this phone call. There's a, the voice that you can't quite understand with an accent that you quite, can't quite understand, followed by music. But it sort of think they said my name. So normally, that time of night, you think it's probably telemarketing. But I didn't hang up just in case. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm not doing anything. And then after about two minutes of elevator music, Redmond, my son, gets on the phone. And he says, quote, Don't panic, it's all right. <laughs> I'm in Cancun Hospital. I've been bitten by an alligator. <laughs> and I don't know the address of the hotel I'm staying in. Can you email Jessica and get her to come and bring my papers so I can claim the insurance? Um, so we waited, of course, tried to email Jessica. No response. We waited for about four hours. It's getting to about one o'clock at night or in the morning. We eventually con contacted Jessica and about 6am, I think she, in our time, she finally got to him and we spoke to them on the phone and found out the actual story. In a tourist area, after my daughter has travelled through the most dangerous parts of the world, <laughs> seeking adventure and excitement, my son, who's been out of the country for three weeks in a tourist resort who wants nothing more than swimming on the beach, going to nightclubs. And what had happened, he and Jessica had gone to a nightclub where Redmond had met this English girl. And Jessica got bored, so she typically walked home alone to the hotel. Redmond, on the other hand, walked down the beach with this English girl and they stripped off and went for a skinny dip. When they came, back to the, they came back to their clothes, there was about eight rather short uh, Mexican men armed with knives who then uh, stole all their money, took the girl across the road to an ATM and got her to take $200 out and then left them. This was not a really good way to wind the night up. So they walked back towards the hotel they were staying at and there was a nice little pier on the river area. So they sat on the pier, dangling their feet, talking about the effects of the night. And a two metre, we found out later, technically correct, apparently they're crocodiles, not alligators. A two metre crocodile jumped up and clomped him on his bare foot. It's just sitting there hanging there. And then it's opened and latched again and got a better bite. Fortunately, in his Facebook day, age, the girl didn't grab her phone and take a YouTube video of it. She grabbed, she grabbed her high heel shoes and started hitting the alligator in the head with her shoes and it let go. Um, and then she took him to hospital and then he managed to get home and he's, he's all right, he, he still works and everything. So um, that's, that was rather unexpected phone call. Thank you. Ian Willis told that story last year at the Toffin Town in Melbourne. The theme for that afternoon of storytelling was unexpected.
perhaps you'd like to tell a story yourself, well, do check out our website for the dates. We have storytelling events planned in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Albury, with more popping up all the time. You can find out the details at our website, abc.net.au slash rn, or by following us on our Facebook page, which we update pretty regularly, facebook.com slash nowhearthisstorytellingslam. And of course, we also have a Twitter, which is at nhtstories. Our next story comes from our nation's capital, but takes us all the way to India. Here's Zoya Patel. The first thing I saw when I got to my grandmother's house was the goat. He was magnificent. He was pure white. He had two perfectly curved horns and this flowing beard that sprouted from his chin. I was 15, and I was on a family trip to India. That year, I had turned vegetarian for maybe the third or the fourth time, um, and this time it had actually stuck. I had been harassing my classmates all year at school with petitions to stop bullfighting or stickers that had slogans like chicks dig vegetarians or Kentucky fried cruelty. When I saw the goat, I immediately realised that this goat was going to be my companion for the rest of the trip. So I named him Goaty. I wasn't a particularly inventive 15-year-old. Um, and I proceeded to hand-feed him every day from my grandmother's garden. That was the week before Eid. And Eid is the biggest event in the Muslim calendar. It's basically an excuse to eat tons of food after 30 days of fasting for Ramadan. And um, that's kind of fair enough, really. <laughs> that week was going to be a week of hard truths. First of all, my grandmother was learning the hard truth of what vegetarian really means. She was completely bemused by my refusals to eat meat at every meal, and she kept doling out chicken or beef or fish, and then getting really upset when I awkwardly doled it back into the pot. But I was also about to learn a hard truth, which was the truth of Goatee's existence. You see, Goatee was not a pet. He was not even just a farm animal. Goatee had been bought and was being strategically fattened up for the Eid feast. He was going to be the showstopper, the curry to end all curries. He was going to feed the dozens of relatives that I was only just learning I had. Of course, when I learnt this, I realised that I had a mission. I had to save the goat. <laughs> I began a strategic campaign that was uh, started with petitioning my father, my long-suffering dad, who kept telling me that I could uh, stop being a vegetarian, he wouldn't tell my friends. <laughs> But as soon as I spoke to my dad, I realised that, in fact, the issue was far more complicated than I realised. Because goats aren't just food or even a farm animal in India. They're a sign of honour and generosity and prestige. All week long, we'd been going to visit different relatives of mine in the village. And these people were so poor that their houses were made out of cow pats and clay. They would serve us these feasts in the single room that usually comprised their entire dwelling. And there would be four or five different vegetarian meals and one tiny bowl of curry, usually goat. And that meat would probably have cost them, you know, all kinds of money. They probably hadn't tasted meat for months and months. And yet they would ignore the longing glances of their children and they'd push the bowl towards their guests because that was their way of showing generosity and of welcoming us to their homes. As soon as I realised this, I also realised that I couldn't ask my grandmother not to kill the goat. It just wouldn't be fair and it wouldn't be respectful. So instead, the night that the men came to slaughter Goatee, I went and hid in my room upstairs. 
tried my best to block it out, but the walls were thin, so I could hear them dragging his body into the courtyard. Then I could hear these cries that were like human yells, and finally the thud as his body hit the ground. I cried that night, but I was determined not to ruin anyone else's eid. And I mean, let's face it, he was a goat. So the next morning, <laughs> we walked outside, and it was time for the early morning prayers for Eid. And I thought to myself, just don't look at where he used to be tied up, because that would probably upset me,、um, and I knew that that wouldn't be fair to anyone else. So we walked on, but as we got to the gate, something caught my eye. I turned around, and there was Goaty tied to the gate and giving me this accusatory glance, like, "Where is my food? You usually come with grass." I was shocked. I gasped. And、I looked at my dad, and he gave me this smile and shook his head as if to say, "That's a story for later." What I found out was that my grandmother was not completely impervious to the attachment I'd formed to this goat. She'd been watching me every day. I was 15, by the way, so it's slightly embarrassing, <laughs> feeding this goat by hand, my only friend in the village.、Um, and she'd realised that she couldn't kill the goat without ruining my whole trip. So she'd gone and had a quiet word to my dad, and he had funded the、uh, the procurement of another goat, who will pretend I didn't know about this other goat who had died, and Goaty got to live on. So that night, when we got to dinner time, and my grandmother started doling out the curry as she always did, she got to my plate and she looked at me, and she hesitated, but I smiled and I held out my plate, and I took the heaped plate of goat curry and I ate every last bite. Because if my grandmother could show some understanding and respect for me, then it was only fair that I compromised as well. Zoe Patel told that story at the Now Hear This in Canberra at the National Film and Sound Archive. The theme for that night was holiday tales. This is Now Hear This. I'm Melanie Tate, and coming up, a love story that will melt everything you have. If you've been listening along for the past months and thinking about telling a story, we'd love you too. We have storytelling events planned in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Albury, so do check out our website for more details. Now to a story that I'm warning might just make your heart speed up a little. From Joan Crystal. Hello, everyone. I'm Joni from Edinburgh. <laughs> I've never told this story live. I'm a nurse, and I worked as a unit manager in Edinburgh. On Friday afternoon, I was in my office, trying to catch up with all the the written work that I had to do. And it was quiet time in the ward, and all the children were kind of fairly settled. And then I heard this "fracas." It's a good Scottish word, and I thought, "What on earth is that noise?" So I came out, and there he was, this huge giant of a man, with legs up to here, and it was October. And if you've been in Scotland, it was pretty cold. And I thought, "What on earth is he doing?" And he had his back to me. And I said, "Excuse me." And he turned and he went, "Hello." <laughs> and I thought, "What are you doing?" 
I couldn't take my eyes off the legs, to be honest. And then I looked up at him, and I understand that look, and I understand, Barry, when you say about that look, it just floored me. I forgot for a minute who I was, and I just kept looking at him. And he had the biggest blue eyes ever. And he went, good day. <laughs> and I thought, you're Australian and you're in shorts. He said, my name's Dr. Foot Twanger. I thought, Dr. Foot Twanger? <laughs> and he had this red nose on. And I thought, what are you doing? He said, I'm here. I'm here with the children. I work. Hearts and minds, I play with the children. I don't know about you. I think we should have a word in my office. <laughs> and he came into my office. And you know when you're trying to be really kind of strict and firm? I mean, I'm the nurse manager and you're causing a fracas on the ward. And he just kept grinning at me. And I thought, what are, you, what are you looking at? Stop that. Why are you looking at me like that? And he said, would you like to go out with me? I thought... Oh, no, <laughs> no. And you know, when you're kind of like, oh, your heart's kind of going and you're all in a state and you're thinking, no, oh, stop it, stop it. No, no. He said, come on. What about just a coffee? What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, don't know. Busy, busy, busy. And I've, my heart, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't look at him. I couldn't look at him because I just, I couldn't think. I didn't know, even know where I was. And I thought, what's happening to me? And he went, I'll meet you tomorrow, okay? We'll meet at the coffee. You know the coffee at the end of the meadows? And I thought, okay, all right. Yeah, that's fine. One o'clock, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. And then he left, okay? And honestly, I thought, what am I doing? What is this? Here I was. I wasn't um, married. I just, I, just, I just fell for him. I just absolutely hung, fell for him there and then. That night, I went out with some girlfriends, and we had a great night. And when I woke up in the morning, I was really sick. I was really sick. I couldn't really get out of the bed, I'd get back in the bed. But it was the day before the mobile phones and I thought, what am I gonna do? I'll, I'll look up the coffee shop, I'll tell them I can't make it. So I phoned them up, they were really busy and I said, look, I'm there to meet this, I don't know his name. I don't know his name. I said, well, he's, he's huge, he'll be wearing shorts, he's Australian, he's bald, he's bald, he's got the most amazing blue eyes. He's a, all right, I'll, I'll try and see if I can see someone like and hand the message over. And then I didn't hear from him again. And I didn't see him again. And I thought, oh, well, he's probably thought, hmm, she's not that interested. And I didn't even know how to get in contact with him. And then I thought, well, maybe if I go through the charity that he was working, maybe I could find him that way. And they were like, no, he's not working in Edinburgh. He's going to be working in Glasgow. Well, how do I get hold of him? I can get the train to Glasgow. I can see him again. And you know when you read, you've just got to grab the moment. You've got to live that moment. And they said, yeah, he should be at the hospital in Glasgow on this day. And then I went that day, and no, he wasn't there. And I thought, oh, gosh. 
Um, I met Dr. Pavlova, very nice lady, but just, just not Dr. Footwanger. Do you know, I never saw him for months and months. And then someone told me he'd gone back to Australia. And then it was Valentine's Day in my office. And I was sitting there. And I got up and I went for lunch. And it was just that, you know, Friday, yeah. I go out with the girls after work. And when I came back to the office, there was a red nose sitting there. And I thought, <gasps> and of course the ward secretary said to me, guess who's back? <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, where is he? And beside the nose, it was like, happy Valentine's Day, coffee. We've never looked back. I love you, Clarkie. And as Rabbi Burns would say, Love is like a red, red nose. Thank you. Joan Crystal told that story on Valentine's Day at the State Library of Queensland. The theme was Love is a Four-Letter Word. Now, don't forget to head to our website to find out where the next Now Hear This Storytelling Slam is on near you. Next week on Now Hear This, The End of the Affair, Stories of Love and Friendship Dashed. I went to an online dating site and um, the first thing I noticed, and I don't want to sound picky, but the first thing I noticed was the shocking spelling. It was... <laughs> And there I am, trawling through people's profiles, picking up little typos and grammatical errors, at the same time thinking, this is why I'm going to die alone. <laughs> um, but I did get matched with, I, you know, they send you matches and I got a couple. I got well-endowed 38, <laughs> which was interesting because I hadn't checked the big penis box. Um, <laughs> And I thought, well-endowed 38, is he well-endowed and 38, or the 38th well-endowed on the side? And then I thought, that's not the question I need to be asking. Um, and, it, you know, there was some more... My favourite one was a feminist man. <laughs> feminist man was 53. He was looking for a slim, attractive woman. <laughs> Under 45 or in pretty good shape, if over. And I thought to myself, something's happened to feminism. And in front of her sat an opened letter addressed to me, which I'd never seen. She invited me to read it. It was from one of my little buddies, Tony. We were obsessed by girls and their body parts and the things you could do with them. I finished Tony's letter. Not only had he canvassed all our preteen activities <laughs> and fantasies with expletives, he'd provided useful stick drawings. <laughs> just in case Sister Geraldine had missed the gist of what he was on about. I put the letter down and out of my mouth erupted a fountain of humbug. This boy was trying to tempt me. He was trying to make trouble for me, knowing full well 
that the nuns would open our letters? This was a brilliant lie. Because although our letters arrived pre-opened, it never occurred to me that anybody was reading them. I thought the nuns were just being courteous and slitting them open for us. I would never smoke, I said. These boys were always offering me cigarettes, but I always said no. And I didn't like to swear. And they mocked me because of it. I ignored the sexual references for fear of getting a cake of soap in the mouth. And I said, I certainly wouldn't be writing back. These stories were recorded by Richard Gervin, Mark Jennings, John Boy Davidson and Peter McMurray. Technical production by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. I'm Melanie Tate and I'll be back with you this time next week. I hope you have a terrific week and get a story or two out of it. (laughs) 